You're listening to a gospel-centered, Bible-based sermon from St. John Lutheran Church in Sterling, Nebraska by Pastor Kevin Arndt. Today is Reformation Day, and we have a special chancel drama put on by our Luther League called Luther's Pigtails. It's a one-act play on the engagement of Martin and Katie Luther, written by Marion H. Youngquist. It will be followed by a brief message from Pastor Kevin. Our Old Testament reading today is from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 12. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, and he was put, and they, he was put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many, and makes the intercession for the transgressors. Here ends the reading of the Old Testament. Uh, Today's first epistle reading is from Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not for your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 through 21. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake we made him to be sin, who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our last epistle reading is from Romans 1, verse 17. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Here ends the epistle readings. The gospel reading is from Mark chapter 14, verses 23 through 24 and 35 through 36. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to all of them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass. 
for him, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Here ends the Holy Gospel reading. Children, please come up for children's message. Welcome. Glad you are here. Guess what I got in here? I'm going to give something to you. What do you think it is? Nope, Kleenex. <laughs> there you go. There's one for you, and one for you, one for you, and here's one for you. There you go. And one for you. Anybody else you can take? You just imagine you've got one. Okay. Now blow your nose. Wipe your nose really good. Just dig in there and get everything out. Go ahead, blow your nose. I'm serious. God, this won't work if you don't blow your nose. Can you wipe your nose? Just, 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 just run it across there. Just humor me. Okay, there we go. Just, just, just rub it on your nose a little bit. Spit on it then. Would you like to spit on it? Put it on the, on the floor. Step on it. Here, let me show you. Okay, good. There, it's been on the floor. And it's been on your nose. There we go. Now, imagine that thing is just loaded with, uh, okay? All kinds of boogers and snot and probably got COVID and everything else in there. It's just nasty. Okay? Now, I would like to, to trade you. Everybody, give me your booger rags. There we go. Trick or treat. Give me your booger rag. <laughs> One more wipe. Good. <laughs> there we go. Thank you. This is exactly what I wanted. Can you believe that? And I'm, I'm going to exchange this for you and give you something else instead. I'm going to take this away to a place where it is gone forever and nobody will ever see it again. But instead, what you were looking for just go ahead and grab a handful in there. Well, you know, not a huge handful, just you know, a couple pieces. Don't peek, just grab it. Okay. All right. So what we just did is I traded you booger rags for candy. Pretty good deal for you, huh? Is that a good deal for me too? I get to have these. Do you think I really wanted these? You know what? We, we, this is what we did with Jesus. This is a little bit maybe hard to wrap your head around at your age, but Jesus did an exchange with us as well. He exchanged something nasty for something good. Do you have any idea what the nasty thing is that we gave Jesus? Hmm? No? Okay. Somebody help him. What's the nasty thing we gave Jesus? Our sin. All the naughty stuff we've ever done. We give that to Jesus. And do you know what he gives to us? What, what does Jesus give you? Candy. Candy. <laughs> Something even sweeter than that. He gives us forgiveness and holiness and righteousness and love and joy and blessings like crazy, including candy. Basically, what I'm telling you is God exchanges our bad thing and he gives us a good thing in its place. Just like you got candy instead of a booger rag. Hmm? Why? Because he loves us. Because he loves you. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. I'm weak. He's strong. He gives me his strength. I give him my weakness. I give him my death. He gives me his life. I give, me, give him my sadness. He gives me his joy. 
I give him my ashes, he gives me beauty. The oil of, of gladness. Over and over and over, the Bible talks about this great exchange that we have with him. We give him something bad, he gives us something good. Including candy. Alright, that's it. You guys can go back. Thank you for coming. Bring some friends next time. Lutheran's Pigtails is a one-act play on the engagement of Martin and Katie Lutheran, based off of the writings of Martin and Katie Luther and Philip, written by Marion H. Youngquist. The title of this play is from one of Martin Luther's affectionate descriptions of his beloved wife. The cast of the characters are Bruno, the careless caretaker who was sleeping off last night's drinking bout, Philip, the scholarly friend of Luther in his 30s, Martin Luther, the leader of the Reformation, 43 years old, graying and worn, and Catherine von Bora, the ex-nun living in Wittenberg. Wake up, you lazy fool. Out of my way. Oh, oh, oh. the devil himself, all dressed in black, ready to take me. Why would the devil want a drunk like you? You flatter yourself. Up, up, I say. The day's half gone. It's Saturday, market day. The housefrost has already brought their Sabbath meals. Have you? No. You're sleeping off last night's binge. I had to have a pint. For my terrible cough. Last week, it was a backache. True. So bad I couldn't chop kindling. Or wash. Or cook. Excuses, excuses, excuses. But I can still think. We in the university... You think you are a university man? It takes more than counting empty kegs to be reckoned among the learned. But I have learned. I've learned the joy of a frothy stein with my students every Friday night. A, a small stein. More, more like a mug, really. Enough. I came to see Dr. Luther. He's in there with his books. Dr. Luther has promised that when I learn my letters, he'll teach me to read a psalm. Think of that. You and me. Two educated men. Hardly. I don't bother getting up. I'll announce myself. Martin, Martin. Philip, am I a star people? I expected someone else. Am I a disappointment? Never. If others deserve me, I can still count on you, my defender in faith. But not a defender of the way you live. Must you pray four hours a day and forget to eat? Is your, bed, is your own bed so moldy that you sleep on a stool? I gave up doing laundry for Lent. Lent was six weeks ago. How time flies. The good doctor is very busy. I was tired last night. I fell into bed, and then after midnight, I couldn't sleep. I rose early to finish this sermon. Here in the university, we stay up past midnight. No need for you to explain. I graduated with honors from the university. I'm glad you woke me. I have an appointment this morning, but I can't remember who's coming. And this is your breakfast? I baked it myself. It sticks to your ribs. It's so hard you'll break your teeth. Martin, Martin, what will we do with you? Your food is cold, your bed is soiled. Look at your sloppy appearance. And the tear in your gown? No, how did that happen? You hung it on a nail. You like nails. Eight years ago, you nailed a paper to the church door. Bruno, your cough is gone and your back has healed. Go chop wood for a fire. I must talk to Dr. Luther alone. A little something, sir. Perhaps a spare, a spare coin for a small glass to give me some strength. Not now, Bruno. Run along. Dr. Melanchthon must talk to me. Even if I know what he will say. Martin, Martin, you can't go on like this. Why not? 
I've lived here for 20 years, except for those months in the Wartburg Castle. Which didn't help your health? Where can I go? I teach, I preach, I pray, and I write. My vow is to be faithful to the word. My life doesn't change. I'm alive and I work. But there's a difference. The monks have left. There's no community here. No regular meals. No set hours for sleeping. No one looks after you. There's Bruno. Don't make me laugh. He's a lazy fool. A drunk. Hush. He'll hear you. There's one more monk. Who's half blind and of no help. You're too hard on them. I admit I'm lonely in this drafty old place. I swap flies during the day, and then the devils ascend at night. Sometimes I hear them stomp down these empty halls. You are despondent again, more melancholy. You can't give in, or you'll find the devil riding on your shoulder. Oh, I can banish old Satan with a song or an inkpot. But I wonder, when I look at my life, of the old days with the music, the chanting, the prayers in our little wooden chapel, Philip, what have I done? I preach no new doctrine. What I say is in the Bible, in the writing of the fathers and the canons. Yet since that faithful October day, eight years ago, I've been hounded and hated. You're still among friends. I'm not sure, now that good Duke Frederick is dead. Perhaps his son will turn me over to our young emperor, Charles V, who is like the Pope. Both want my head on the block. Sometimes, I hope I don't live long, but if I die, what a scandal follows. My dear father and mother will suffer because of my work. If you don't take better care, you'll be dead before the emperor can cut off your head or burn you at the stake. You know either one is possible. My young friend, if I perish, the gospel won't be the loser. You can defend it. Once, you were a scholar of Plato and Aristotle. Then you came to study the word. Which you taught with such conviction that I left humanism behind, to cling to my lord and savior alone. You already surpassed me in grace and clarity. Oh, I expect to be known as the forerunner of Philip Melanchthon. Martin, Martin, I admire your works of theology, but I cherish you even more, humanly speaking, and most deeply. That's why I'm concerned. Was this dry bread your supper too, or did you conveniently forget to eat? A student came by. He was going home. He needed my last loaf for his journey. Why didn't you make him chop wood? At least you'd have a fire for a bath. I'm already in hot water. Why should I bathe? When I see the Rose of Wittenberg, I don't need to smell it. Am I that bad? If you continue like this, your friends won't come near you. Must you discuss my personal habits, or should I say my lack of them? No, but I know how to handle students. When we give them meals and lodging, they must do chores for us. My wife sees to that. Aha! That's the difference. Five years ago, you married Katie Crabb, the mayor's daughter. Oh, Philip, you did very well for yourself. I don't have a Katie. Marriage to my Catherine is a convenient estate. For those of us not in holy orders, marriage is considered a devote and holy work of God. Yes, one can say that much about marriage. My father gave up on me when I became a monk, but he still tells me that I need a Kate of my own. Someone like your wife. Sometimes I think about it. That's exactly what I came about. This letter. Oh, my father's not concerned about me. He wants a string of grandsons. Even a granddaughter would make him smile. Never. If you marry, the whole world will laugh, and the devil will dance with glee. Don't worry. My thoughts are far from it. I expect my death any day. The well-deserved punishment of a hounded heretic. That's what I am, a hounded heretic. For you, marriage would be a disaster. Everything you've achieved would be destroyed. Philip, have faith. Nothing can destroy the word. If I, the first, should drown, God can make other Dr. Martins by the dozen. Keep writing letters like this, and not even God the Almighty can save you. What are you talking about? Spalatine sent this to me. It seems you two have corresponded about marriage. Why not? For us, marriage is impossible. 
We're two crusty old bachelors. He's too shy, and I'm 43, full of rheumatism, not romance. This letter sounds otherwise. Listen to what you wrote. I don't want you to wonder why a famous lover like me doesn't marry. It's rather strange that I, so often write about matrimony and get mixed up with women... Mixed up? Oh, I meant the nuns who escaped from their convent. Nothing more. Unfortunately, you wrote more. Yet, if you want me to set an example, here you have a powerful one. For I have had three wives simultaneously and loved them so much that I've lost two who are taking other husbands. The third I can hardly keep with my left arm, and she, too, will probably be snatched away. Oh, I can't go on. I was joking. A man shows his character by what he laughs at. Silly scribbling, you know that. Yes, but if the papist gets a hold of this... I'll just face one more false charge to add to their long list. They say I'm a bastard, that the devil defiled my mother. Pope Leo called me a drunken German. Even the astrologers find my birth doesn't fit their charts. Martin, please be more dignified. Others don't understand your humor. Throw that letter away. Is that why you woke me? No, there's something else. Here's a copy of Brewster's latest sermon. He rants on the worship in Wittenberg. It's too papal, he says. He thunders against the clergy, vestments, and Latin anthems by the boys' choir. Our hymns are in German. God protect me from my friends. I see I've burdened you with, this much, with too much foolishness. Forgive me. I'll be going. No, it's, it's good you woke me. I remember my appointment. Catherine von Bohr is coming by. Really? She's one ex-nun who should have stayed in the convent. You've an acid tug today. She's a fine person. She has one major fault. She irritates me. Philip, you don't understand her. Two weeks ago, I sent Father Armsdorf to arrange her marriage, but Armsdorf didn't know how to talk to her. He botched the whole deal. So you think you can reason with her? Well, yeah. She, she'll see that if she doesn't marry now, she'll have to wait a long time for another chance. I'll settle the matter. She'll agree with me. What a relief. She haggles over prices in the market. Oh, the merchants will celebrate when she's gone. You don't understand her. She's thrifty and frugal. That's very admirable in a pastor's wife. In fact, she's the kind of woman that is, or wife, that I would need. That is, if I ever married. Don't you dare to think of it. It's out of the question. Well, who's von Bora's unlucky victim this time? I've arranged her marriage to Casper Glatz. What? Martin, you can't be serious. Even I wouldn't wish that marriage on her. There are rumors about how he handles university funds. Those are only rumors. Forget them. I thought about her last night. See, I made a list of reasons. One, Glatz has a Doctor of Theology degree. That helps the marriage. Two, he needs a wife. But does he need a von Bora? I thought of one more. He'll marry the girl. Girl? She's a woman, and a sharp-tongued one at that. Philip, you're only 32, and I'm 43. When you're a crusty middle-aged monk like myself, any woman of 26 is a girl. Fraulein von Bora is too proud. Her nose is higher than her top knot. Frau Crouch speaks very highly of von Bora's work in their household. The more I see of some people like von Bora, the less I like them. She helps Air Crunch in his apothecary shop with urge for the sick. The gossips report that when King Christian of Denmark stayed with the Crunches, he gave Von Bora a ring for services. There must be a reason. Let me take care of this business. When, Bar when Von Bora comes, I'll handle her quickly enough. I have a fourth reasoner to marry Glass. She has no dowry. True, true. I don't like to play matchmaker, but what can I do with leftover priests and nuns? I'll go wash up while you see her. Guten Morgen. Oh, it's you. I'm here to see Dr. Luther. 
I'm in a hurry. Tell him I'm here. Unfortunately for you, Dr. Luther is not available. He has assigned me to handle, to deal with, to discuss your future. Really? First Armstorff, then you? My time is limited. So is mine. The way to end an argument is to keep your mouth shut. Try it yourself. For that matter, I bought some green onions at market. Here, have one. It may sweeten your breath. I'll ignore that remark. Fraulein von Borup, what did you expect when you escaped with those other nuns from the Targo convent? A better life than the bitter life I had behind those walls. My father put me in there when I was nine. I took my vows at sixteen. A life of constant labor, long fast, little sleep, no conversation, no warmth, no love. And the only God I knew was ever watchful, severe, unforgiving. We've all, we've heard all of that before. Then someone smuggled in the 95 theses of good Dr. Luther. They spread through the convent like a fresh wind. Next came his commentary on Galatians. At last, we found hope in a gracious God. People are sympathetic to all that. Now, if we could just... Two years ago on Easter Eve, we nuns escaped by hiding in old barrels. What an Easter morn. After 14 years, isolated behind those heavy walls, I was reborn. A glorious resurrection. But now your idleness has gone on long enough. Idleness? Don't make me laugh. I'm a servant up at dawn. Thank God for my convent trainings. I clean grates. I wash. I grind herbs. Long hours. All for a penance. I want a home of my own. Exactly. And congratulations are in order. Dr. Luther has arranged your marriage to Dr. Casper Glass. Never. Call intuition, but I don't trust him. Mark my word, he isn't honest. He's an important man. He's a doctor of theology. Think of that. The wife of Dr. Glass. Old Father Armstorff came pussyfooting around with the same offer two weeks ago. I refuse then. I refuse now. Be sensible. You're lucky that Glatz is willing. I told good Father Armstorff that I'd marry him before I'd marry Glatz. He ran out the door. Look at yourself. No one wants you. You have nothing to offer anyone. Are you sure? One way to make others happy is to leave them alone. Try it. Start with me. This matchmaking is very hard on Dr. Luther. He's not well. He speaks with vigor from the pulpit. You see him only on Sunday. He has rheumatism and stomach trouble. That's no surprise with Bruno's cooking. He needs a good nourishing soup. Soothing soup. In the convent, we lived on soup and prayer. He has boils on his back. The poor man needs a good poultice of herbs. If I'd only known... This cloister is almost empty. There's no one to care for him. He needs a wife. He gets depressed. Lonely. He and I are two of a kind. I know how he feels. I left the convent and now I'm alone in the world. I'm not talking about you. What I'm saying is that Dr. Luther has greater worries than what to do with you. That's my final word. I doubt it. Such a clever tongue. People laugh behind your back and call you a vestal virgin. Is there anything else on your mind? Forgive me, mind is an overstatement. Don't be sarcastic. It's no wonder that you're still left an ex-nun with no future. Read your Bible, the last shall be first. Fraulein, guten Morgen. Look at that sun. Listen to the birds. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. God's in his heaven. All's right with the world. The answer is no. Did I ask a question? I give up. You take over. I'll return when you're done with her. Be careful. She stings like a bee. Now, Philip, I think she's trying. Very. <laughs> Two weeks ago, I sent Old Father Armstorff to see you. With the message that I prayerfully consider marriage to Dr. Glatz, the answer is still... Wait. You'd be the wife of the university rector. Think of that. He's a very learned man. I have. It's a mistake. I can't love that man with or without his brains. Love? To love is nothing more than to wish another 
quite heartily, what is good. You make it sound so simple. Love comes later. Look, Fraulein, here's a list of reasons. Call me Catherine. Some call me Catherine of Siena, behind my back. Because, not because of my piety, but because I know how to give orders. Catherine, I'm glad you're honest and say what you think. My answer is still no. What else can I do? Last year, I tried to match you up with young Jerome Baumgartner. Good Dr. Luther, did you really think I had a chance? Of course. I sent a letter to him after he left Wittenberg. I have a copy here somewhere. Um, yes, here it is. I wrote, By the way, if you intend to hold on to your Kate Von Bora, then you better hurry before she becomes engaged to someone else on the scene. His parents must have choked with laughter over that. Did you really expect him to scare him into marriage with me? Me. Without a dowry? He didn't answer, did he? Well, no. But then he, or his parents, were very foolish. Very foolish. Like Catherine, Katie, you'd be a gem in any household. Dr. Luther, look at me. What do you see? An honest, upright, pious girl. You must be half blind. I'm a plain woman and a very poor one. Not quite. I hear that gloomy Dane, King Christian, gave you a gold ring. The gossips carry so many tales they'll turn it to monkeys. I combed his queen's hair each morning and wiped her weeping eyes each afternoon. She wants to follow your teachings, but her brother is the emperor. She's an unhappy woman. The ring is a small one from a king without a throne. It's not enough for a dowry. I wish I could help, but I'm a poor teacher. I've no salary. When the duke built this cloister, the Augustinians sent me as their free professor. All I get is a few guilders when I preach at the town church. The publishers print my books, but I get nothing. Not one florin. Sometimes I feel like a beggar. You've got plenty of room here. You can keep students and ask a modest fee. Some professors overcharge. I wouldn't know what to ask. Look out there. It's a good place for a garden. You could have fresh beans and potatoes. I've no time for a garden. The students contend it. All they need is supervision. Good Dr. Luther, you need someone to help you. That's true. Bruno is of no help, and I need, my, and I need time for my lectures. Really, I'm so alone. Yes, alone. I know about loneliness. I'm lonely too. At night, the devil lies in wait for me. I say, devil, go away. Just let me sleep. Oh, I know restless nights too. I lie there, wondering where I'll next lay my head. Oh, I remind the devil of God's command. Work by day, sleep by night. Then he brings out a catalog of my sins. So I say to him, yes, old fellow, and here's a few more you've overlooked. Put them down too. Jacob wrestles with an angel, but you always confront the devil. You tell us in church that God is our refuge and strength. Good Dr. Luther, let our Heavenly Father shield you too. You listen well. Now, let's settle your future. You'll have a good home and family, yes, and, God willing, a few little heathens of your own to convert. Katie, take my advice. Mary Glatz. No, I'll tell you the same thing I told Father Armstorff. Before I marry that Glatz, I'd marry old Father Armstorff. Or even you. That's final! What's that? I said no, 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 no. Before that, the other part. What else did you say? I said that before I marry Glatz, I'd marry Father Armstorff. Or you. Katie, do you really mean that? I, I don't know. It, it just popped out. I have nothing. I'm the son of a peasant. I must beg the duke for even a length of cloth. Look at this old robe. Which I see needs mending. If I had a needle and thread... Most of the time, I'm hungry. My stomach's upset. Here's a nice ripe apple. It'll help. And I get headaches. One cartoon shows me as a monster with seven heads. And all are filled with wonderful ideas. A hundred songs and ten thousand words. I'm not a fixed star. I'm an irregular planet. Spinning in God's orbit. Sometimes, there's trouble in marriage. Think of all the squabbles that Adam and Eve had. 
Eve said, you ate the apple, and Adam snapped back, you gave it to me. Once you said in a sermon, a couple should study to be pleasing to each other. Remember, I also said, union of flesh does nothing. There must also be a union of manners and mind. There's a proverb, a good husband is deaf and a wife is blind. A woman should repeat the Lord's Prayer before she speaks. If every man thought before he spoke, the world would be silent. Well, well. Katie, the gifts of God must be taken on the vine. By delay, Hannibal lost Rome. Katie, what about marriage? The two of us? Dr. Luther, are you serious? Are you sure? Now, this moment, I'm asking you. I can't think. I might rule the household. What would you have me call you? Dr. Catherine Luther, mistress of the pig market, or the lady of Zolsdorf? What other titles befit your grace? Oh, Fraulein, if you have a husband who loves you, let someone else play the empress. It's enough if I'm catered to you. Yes, Dr. Luther, I'll marry you. Well, then, three days from now, we'll announce our engagement. I don't believe in long engagements, so we'll marry in two weeks. Let's join our right hands together in a pledge. The 13th of June, my wedding day. So be it, Dr. Luther. Katie, my name is Martin. Not yet for me, Dr. Luther. Not yet. We'll invite Cobb, who helped you escape the nunnery. I'll tell him to bring a barrel of his best Torgau beer. If it's no good, Bruno can drink it. Oh, I must go. I want to be the first one to tell the Cronachs. Oh, hello, Philip. Remember your place. Dr. Melanchthon to you. To me, there's only one doctor here. Goodbye. Take a walk. A long walk. I recommend long walks for people who annoy me. She's in an awful hurry. She's getting married. Wonderful. So you've persuaded her? To marry me. No! Yes. Quite suddenly, the Lord crushed me into the state of matrimony while I was thinking of other things. I can't believe it. The devil's confused you. That one Boris bewitched you. I hardly believe it myself. Congratulate me. It'll be a great thing, this companionship of man and wife. I know your concern for ex-nuns would take fire from your nature and greatness from your soul. I'm against this step. Philip, by this marriage I've made myself so unworthy and despised that the angels will laugh and the devils will weep. I suppose I don't dare scold or think evil of what's happened. I'll have a pious and faithful wife who won't spoil anything for me. She'll bring sunshine in my life, one sunbeam always shining in the stormiest weather. Von Bora, a sunbeam, you must be in love. God works miracles and makes a fool of the world. Only the world. There is no fool like an old fool. Philip, my dear friend, you're always so willing to compromise or to smooth out doctrinal differences. Why, can't you see my marriage with that same good spirit? For the sake of our friendship, I beg you, come to the wedding. I can't. I'm against it. I just can't. To the banquet, then? Perhaps I can bring myself to dine with you. Afterwards, we'll all dance in the town hall. This isn't like you. You appear almost intoxicated. Well, at first, love is like a strong drink. But when intoxication wears off, then comes the real love in marriage. Remember, Philip, God's earthly benefits are indeed temporary. And they don't stand still, but are running and ever on the move. Therefore, one must take hold, whatever they may be, when and where possible, so as not to lose them. Katie, back so soon? Did you expect her to leave you alone? Marriage doesn't necessarily bring peace and happiness. Dr. Luther, I need to talk to you. So now I'm the intruder. Very well, I'll leave. I will tire to my own study can consider this unfortunate, this change. Following on Bora, don't expect me to ever be your close friend. But we can both help Dr. Luther, and perhaps, by God's grace, we'll even learn to be civil with each other. Philip, look at our faces. We're happy together. Be happy with us. I guess by nature, we're all made for marriage. Martin, maybe it won't 
will make you more dignified instead of always joking. I'll send along some goblets for a gift. Goodbye for now. Now, Katie, what brings you back? Second thoughts? I can't believe what's happened. Are we really to be married? Dr. Luther, are you sure? I asked you. I believe you, quite willingly, said yes. What about your inner feelings? Your heart? Katie, no one examines his heart in his hand. Remember, someday God will ask, I fashioned you as a man who should not be alone, but should have a wife. Where's your wife? You, Katie, are my answer. I wanted to be sure. God wills that I have compassion for the poor. I know that by his grace, God will give us a happy marriage. God's grace. You always come back to that. Oh, Katie, hold on to God's word. I'll give you 50 florins if you read the whole Bible. I'll hold you to that. In the meantime, I'll hurry back to the Kronachs. They, they want to hear more. I'll see you later. Remember, God blesses marriage with his word. Marriage trains us in fidelity, faith, and love. Dr. Luther, look at you, standing there, preaching to the devil. Who do you see at this time, God or the devil? Pigtails. Oh, Bruno, can you believe that I'm about to be braided into my girl's pigtails? I don't understand you, but I know what's happened. It's all them books. You read too much Hebrew and Greek. It's turned you balmy this spring. Go for a walk. Get some fresh air. Yes, yes, I'll catch up with my girl's pigtails. We'll see the conscious together. First too many books, and now a girl's pigtails? What's the world come to? Pigtails. Thank you very much for the, the music, for the performance. That's uh, part of the, the whole Reformation story that, that uh, you might not have heard before. You know, we're, we're very familiar with little parts of it, like pounding the 95 theses on the wall. But uh, how, how Luther came to be married, I, I don't think it was in there about how you got rescued in the pickle barrel. It was in there? Okay. Yeah, that's, isn't that an amazing thing? That uh, she's in the nunnery and hears Luther's message and wants to escape and they're not going to let her. And all these nuns, they put them in herring, pickled, pickled herring barrels and smuggle them out. Uh, interesting stories. And Luther himself ends up being a wanted man, dead or alive, by church and state, both. But this particular part of the story in 1525, when Luther was in his early mid-40s and, and Catherine von Bora was like 25, 17 years younger, and they take each other to be husband and wife. He tried to pawn her off in a bunch of places we saw, but that didn't, didn't work, and finally they found each other. And it turned out to be a beautiful, beautiful marriage. Luther said, there's a lot to get used to in the first year of marriage. One wakes up in the morning and finds a pair of pigtails on the pillow where there were none there before. Luther's pigtails, that was one of his nicknames for her. Catherine always called him Dr. Luther. But he had a lot of different pet names for her. He called her My Lord Kate. Or as you heard in here, uh, my, my Lord Kate, mistress of the pigsty, because she kept pigs. Dr. Catherine, he called her, because she was a fantastic nurse, not just in making poultices, but also very well versed in her herbal medicine, and during the plagues, she was one of the few that stayed behind in Wittenberg to minister to the medical needs of, of those 
who were hurting. And he called her uh, Ketty. Instead of Katie, he called her Ketty. He just changed the, the letters a little bit. Ketty in German means chain, as in ball and chain. And that was his nickname for her when he thought she was getting to be a little bit uh, too bossy. Um, and apparently bossiness was a part of, of their relationship and, and part of maybe what he needed to uh, help steer his private life and, and keep him going. In some of his letters that he would write, he would address the letter to her like this. The deeply learned Mrs. Catherine Luther, my gracious housewife in Wittenberg. Or, to my dear housewife Catherine Luther, doctress, self-martyr at Wittenberg. Or, to the holy worrisome lady Catherine Luther, doctor at Wittenberg. Or, housewife Catherine Luther, doctress, and whatever else she may be. <laughs> he said of wives in general, and of his in particular, wives usually know well the art of how to ensnare a man with tears and pleadings. They can turn and twist nicely and give the best words. And how true. But you're saying, well, this is Reformation Day. We shouldn't be talking about Luther or Catherine or their marriage. It should be about the great doctrines of the Reformation, about justification, about salvation through, by grace through faith for Christ's sake, apart from works of the law. But did you know that in addition to him resonating the, the, through history with the nails pounded on, onto the church door, those nails that, and that pounding that echoed the, the same significance of Christ's nails in his hands on the cross, that one of repentance and forgiveness of sins, in addition to that big thing, marriage to Luther was his one of his top metaphors for justification. This is how we really tie this whole story back into the actual theme of the Reformation, of justification. One of his chief metaphors was exactly that. Christ marries the church and takes on himself her punishment, whereas it receives his infinite holiness. There's this great exchange. The old saying of marriage, what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. And in using marriage as a metaphor, Luther taps into German law about marriage at that time, which basically was that. What they each would bring, whether it's resources or debts, once they got married, it became uh, a mutual property. In, in the German law, it, it had in mind that there was a difference or distinction between proper personal possession and possession of benefit and use or responsibility. And so, just as if she had debt and they got married, it would become Luther's, or if she had a, 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 a resources, it would become his, and vice versa, what he had would become hers. And that's like with Christ and the church, the great exchange that takes place there. In our epistle readings for today, we read about God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And there is our great exchange. That's the, the picture in marriage is then the picture in the marriage between Christ and his bride, the church. I read somewhere once in the murky past that 
that uh, Luther refers to the great exchange. And I, I went digging, I searched high and low, and I could not find it anywhere where he used that phrase, the great exchange. But he did use phrases like the, uh, the wondrous exchange with the same, same kind of uh, mindset. The wondrous or great exchange being the, the mystery of the riches of divine grace given to sinners wherein our sins are no longer ours but his. And his holiness and his perfection and his righteousness are no longer his but ours. He empties himself of his righteousness that we might be filled with it. And he takes our sins upon him. He who knew no sin became sin. Our sin. He's taken all of our evils on himself that he might deliver us from them. In the same way, in the same manner that he grieved and suffered for our sins and was confounded, so in the same manner we rejoice in the glory of his righteousness. And that is a quote from one of his, his writings. Another one of his quotes, he says, By this mystery, as the apostles teach, Christ and the soul become one flesh. And he's thinking also of marriage. And if they are one flesh, then there is between them a true marriage, indeed, the most perfect of all marriages, since human marriages are but a poor example of this one true marriage between Christ and his bride, the church. So it follows that everything that they have held in common, the good as well as the evil, accordingly, the believing soul can boast of and glory in whatever Christ has as though it were his own, and whatever the soul has, Christ takes and claims as his own. Let us compare these and we shall see the inestimable benefits. Christ is full of grace, life, and salvation, and the soul of man is full of sin, death, and damnation. Now let faith come in between them, and the sins, death, and damnation will be Christ's, while grace, life, and salvation will be the soul's. For if Christ is the bridegroom, he must take upon himself the things which are the bride's, and he must bestow upon her the things that are his. It is, if, if he gives her his body and very self, how shall he not give her all that is his? And if he takes the body and, of the bride, how shall he not also take all that is hers, namely her sin? Well, I've got a couple more quotes from him that basically uh, say the same kind of thing. There's this great exchange. He takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. He takes our death and gives us his life. He takes our filthy rags and he gives us his glorious robes. And he takes us to be one with him in heart and mind. One flesh, a true marriage. So even as we, we looked at this marriage be reenacted, or this uh, engagement at least, and as we consider our own marriages as they are, a, a, a cloudy mirror of the relationship between Christ and his bride, we, we should be reminded in all of our marriages, two things should take place. One is we see the, the standard to which we should live, and the other is in our marriages we can kind of get a glimpse of what that other one looks like. We, we come to realize more and more it is not by our works, not by our goodness, not by our righteousness that we try and present to God, but by His. And if it weren't for that, then He died in vain. 
If it weren't for that, the Reformation is meaningless. If it weren't for that, then, then why, did, why do we bother? Because we all sin and fall short of that glory of God. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. To him alone be the glory, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening in this morning at St. John Lutheran Church in Sterling, Nebraska. If you're in the area, please join us in person. You can find more information about us at stjohnsterling.org and on Facebook at St. John Lutheran Church Sterling. Join us again for more of the biblical teaching of Pastor Kevin Arndt. And now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Romans 15, 13.